This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Good morning. Good, Good morning. afternoon. Good evening. I don't think anybody's up. <laughs> oh, no, there's always most of the world is up. Maybe not the East Coast of the United States. but You know, uh, so I'm going to blame you for this. Um, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm always blame you. So Sankofa came out on Netflix and um, I got a, the crack of Dawn's ass. And, um, <laughs> Otherwise known as the ass crack of Dawn. <laughs> thank God all the children are asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Edit this Did out. You? Did yeah. you? Yeah, and I didn't know what I was going to, you know, so thank yeah, you. Yeah, of course, of course. Thank you. But I was there. So he's taking me back, you know, to when I went through the castle and I'm sitting there like, is he going to go take people through the castle? And the experience that I had there, um, you know, for a lot of people, they get in there, they cry, they, you know, but the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, it, he, he calls the spirit back, right? From the very beginning with the drums. The spirit of the dead arise, the spirit of the dead arise. And I'm like, that's right. His words, Holly wrote those words, but they were spoken in the film by the great Oscar Brown Jr. out of Chicago, the great musician. His whole squad was there. Even oh. Carrie James Marshall. Carrie James Marshall did a lot of the production work and artwork on Sankofa. I mean, real low keto. It's like say less. He ain't even in the credits, it just says Carrie Marshall. You wouldn't even know. So anyway, so you you got you went back, you were there. Yeah. Um, and and I was just this week um, planning a trip to Ghana to bring in 2023. Nice. So I have somebody that's planning. So, you know, the Nubian family, you know, get your coin together. On, I know August, uh, you were planning a trip to Egypt, but uh, yeah. Yeah. maybe, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, you know, but I figured by 2023 to bring in the new year at yeah. that spot in Accra, in Accra you know, at at the gore at the excuse me not the gory that the um the castle of Myra Castle at the yes. you know at that place that still holds the blood fecal matter skin mm. flesh of our ancestors and mm. scrunching down to get through that doorway of no return to come back mm. you know, such a tight spot and I'm five ten I know you six yeah months. yeah yeah five, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, I was like taken back with the drums, that that brother, the ancestors coming in. And I was like, every week, I feel like we are calling the ancestors to arise. Every week we are mm. in space. So I I felt a, a deep connection. So thank you for um, ha having me spend my Saturday morning that way. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was early. This is no, because it's early now. No, thank you. Thank you. And, let's, and we thank Ava DuVernay. For her commitment with Array Films and her production company, um, and uh, the man she calls Maestro, the great Holly Garim and his wife Shrikiana Aina, their film Sankofa, um, which was unavailable for quite some time in terms of distribution, and now it's a click away on Netflix, which creates its own uh, contradictions. Um, because the Garimas have spent their entire careers. And Holly's at this point now, Holly's 75, mm. it's about over 50 years of work as completely independent filmmakers. That's amazing. How, how, what was that? 19, what, when was this done? 93. It was 93. Ironically, along some very similar lines to Melvin Van Peebles, who we'll be talking about. I mean, it, it's really amazing. I mean, you raise the money, you, 
um, he didn't get any last dollar checks from people like Bill Cosby, which man Peoples did, but Cosby was doing that a lot back in them days, even up through Malcolm X. But he, um, they rather, because Shrikiana was handling a great deal of that work while Holly was in location. They scoped locations. That film was shot, of course, in West Africa, Ghana, as we saw there. I mean, as you say, uh, the mine as the dutch called it that fort so I mean, let me let me like apologize for no 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 no. i mean no i mean it's there i mean you know we we, we grapple with the language but all of those tongues uh as as ozzy davis once wrote the english language is my enemy so you know uh i don't know i don't necessarily have a, a fidelity to pronouncing english french that's spanish portuguese but um yeah the mind because they like to call them forts and, 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 you know, it's interesting. I was uh, talking with uh, our sister, Ajwa, you know, Bajwa Asmoa, who is Ghanaian, of course, uh, although she's born here for father's Ghanaian and there. Uh, John Mahama, uh, you probably saw him at the UN, the president, uh, current president of Ghana, um, who, you know, has a kind of mixed politics. It's, it's, you know, I mean, he's, he's a politician, you know, politicians that are our friends. But one thing they have embraced is this idea of calling all of us home to Ghana, so to speak. So he's got this extending the year of return um, drive that they're doing. And he was at the UN once again saying, you know, we don't want these loans from other uh, countries. We don't want charity because charity continues to reinscribe dependency. So, you know, when the Garimas were there in the early 90s, and the irony is when you're a truly independent filmmaker like they are, filmmakers like they are, that money comes from any source you can kind of get, but also includes including the people. And it takes you years, years to make projects. Some of the footage that they shot in Ghana, for example, included interviews that Shrikiana uh, took and her film that came out just a few years ago, interviews with that first generation of Africans born in the United States who immigrated to Ghana, immigrate with an E, meaning leaving the United States, never to return permanently. Uh, she finally uh, was able to complete that film. That was 2016. This is the film, Footprints of Pan-Africanism. And there's, there's Nkrumah and there's Malcolm. She interviewed all these elders. Most of those elders are ancestors, but while they were there shooting Sankofa, she's also doing the documentary, Footprints of Pan-Africanism, which is a brilliant documentary. And that that's the wife and husband and wife team. But I started to say that they shot in Burkina Faso, they shot in the Caribbean, Jamaica, and you raise money, you shoot, you raise money, you shoot. And one of their five children, um, Marawi Garima, who is a filmmaker, in fact, the first Garima film from what Marawi refers to sometimes as the Garima gang, the extended, uh, the extended family, we all extended family with the Garimas, but um, the first film to appear on Netflix that, uh, that the Array Collective uh, through Ava DuVernay um, acquired to distribute rather, it was green, uh, was was um, Marawi's first uh, film, uh, Marawi Sankara Garima, his first film, Residue, which mm. is about gentrification in Washington, D.C. It's kind of a, a, a autobiographical piece because he went to film school in California and then came back to D.C. And he said, in that short year I was gone, the place changed again. 
and and he's and then he's following in the footsteps of his mother again because Sri Gana did a, a documentary on gentrification over a decade ago in DC called Brick by Brick. So they make these films, but it takes years. And so, you know, when Sankova opened in 1993, it opened every city it opened in was a city where black people in that city, New York, Philadelphia, Indianapolis, Indiana, where I saw it with uh, Mashriki Juwanza and the collective and the Indianapolis Public Schools who raised money and, and, and mounted it during Black Expo. That's where I met Holly that, 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 uh, that summer in 1993. Black people in the cities raised the money, bought out theaters, theaters, and then screen it, screen it, screen it. And then they were sold out, sold out, sold out. In one place, i tell you a quick story. I tell the story a million times. He says, you know, we, we, were, we were engaged in a theater. They were showing it. It was outperforming the other movies in the Cineplex. And we got a message saying that we were going to be evicted after this final showing because the manager of the theater was having heart palpitations and he was... And Holly was like, why? Is somebody being violent? No, I just, it's just, he said, Die Hard is playing there. Do you have Die Hard shock? No, it ain't. It, but anybody who sees that movie is, if y'all watch Sankofa on Netflix, because now you can watch it. The last 10 minutes of Sankofa, I promise you, lives in the minds and hearts of every black person. They ain't always going to tell you, but that's the governance structure. <laughs> I mean, like Holly said, this is not a slavery movie. This is a movie about black people and resistance do you understand and that's why when you watch sankofa every other movie hollywood has ever made including the ones by black directors and writers is revealed for what it is it's revealed for what no matter how beautifully shot and the great music the great acting but when you see sankofa it's like yeah we're not sugarcoating anything but yeah remember when nunu says yeah you're hit man You'll never lay next to my body as long as you. <laughs> this man is tormenting me all. And in in a small little thirty second set of lines, this sister goes through how black people were complicit. She goes through the class issues and what, and then she brings it right to the plantation. She says, oh, "You will never lay next to my body as long as you're a head man for the white man. This man has been my tormentor." Even the question of gender. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Black women's very specific experience, and it's like, oh my goodness. But yes, but 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 it's independent filmmaking. See, when you run your own thing, you can tell your own story. Well, thank you for that. Uh, and y'all, y'all will have to search for it because it's not necessarily right there, prominent in nope. the uh, in the thing. So I went to my search and put it in. Now you got to look for it. It's not trending like dear white people. Uh, let's move on. Let's. I got to ask you this question because I didn't. I didn't. I was this early. I don't know. It was midnight, one o'clock. I got on the computer and I was looking for something else. And I said, let me turn on the stream, the TV, just for a second. And on VH1, they've given Lenard Charlemagne the God a show. Have you seen, have you heard anything about that? Yes, of course. I've heard about okay, it. Okay. See, I, I mean, I didn't know, but I, oh, I it, yeah. it was so, uh, Steve Colbert was, is producing it. Of course. See, the, the season, it was, it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant in its minstrelsy. I'm looking at this like anyone who wants to understand that absolutely nothing has changed should watch this show. <laughs> I mean, anytime somebody comes to somebody like a Holly Grimmer or Shrikana and says, you know, things have changed, we made progress, I would invite them to watch 
10 minutes of this minstrel show <laughs> just to understand. And, and Stephen Colbert is behind it, huh? Oh man, chef's kiss, Colbert. <laughs> Liberal racism at oh. its finest. Here's what they think about you, as Ice Cube said in No Vaseline. Here's what they think about. Oh, really? Yeah. And then as, as Lenard sat back on the couch and said, I can't believe they would let me put something like this on TV. Oh, no, young brother. This is absolutely what they want on television because that's who you are to them. You need to study the social structure, brother. If you didn't think about history, you understand it. Not only would they put that on, you're who they're looking for. Oh. I'm gonna stop so, short don't, of using don't the C word. Don't mm. do it. Don't do it. Um, I'm not because I'm not, the children are gonna be watching. You know, people, people receive those roles, and and shout out to everybody in Nubia right now who's up with us. We got hey Nubian, Nubia, Nubia. Hey, Valerie, Nubia. Uh, there's Ajua in there. Is that Ajua? Ajua's there. Um, mm. We have uh, S Green and Throw Down My Heart has just joined. And hold uh, on, good morning, all y'all. Let me get over here. I'm a look. We're gonna. We, we, I'm getting better at it. I, I got the. I'm getting the tech. I'm getting in here right now. Let me see. All right. Let me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. This is. No, no, no. I mean, you know, like uh, people who receive those roles again. I, I call it the special magical Negro. Uh, and you know, we've talked about this before. I don't think they know. I don't think they know because they don't have the capacity to know, which is why you're selected, right? Because if you know that you're being used as a tool or a weapon to foster a certain uh, imagery and to, to continue a power structure, would you willingly do it? Some would probably still do it for money, you sure. know, because that money is life-changing. And again, they fool themselves into thinking, I'm going to do good with this money. I'm going to change my neighborhood. I'm going to change the paradigm. I'm going to use that money to seed other things. But very often they don't. And well, even when they know, do, I mean, the, the, all do. things can be true. Okay. But individuals don't beat institutions. Fact. What you taught us. You know what I'm saying? I mean, individuals don't beat institutions. And, and that's why. So do you say no, right? Because the, oh. question, right? So do you say no? Because, you know, they get rid of one and then the next one, well, somebody else was going to sit in that seat. They're going to get somebody else. So why not me? At least I'm going to do right by the people. So right. I, I'm going to hold this seat and make sure that we push forth these issues and tell the stories that need to be told and I'm at least going to be responsible with this because if they don't, if I'm not here, somebody else will be, somebody's going to say yes. So why not me? Well, that's the question, isn't it? And there's no good answer. I mean, what did, uh, what did the, the hip hop group, the coup boots rally from the coup in, in their, in their song, not yet freeze that capitalism is like a spider. I'm struggling like a fighter. The web is getting tighter, but I'm struggling like a fighter. I mean, how many people would not be exposed to breaking down the stereotypes, the myths, receiving pure information and beginning to free their minds if you hadn't made the decision to ride the twin horses of Sirius XM? I mean, in other words, there's, it, there's no good answer to that. And on the continuum of that engagement, on one end of the continuum, you have collectives like the Garimas. And on the other end of the collective, you have the most stereotypical, out-for-themselves, individualist-minded Negro you can imagine. And somewhere along that continuum, you have Karen Hunter, you have Avery DuVernay, you have, and, 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 you know, 
for Ali especially, who has spent his whole life in independent filmmaking and building in independent institutions, because one of the things that happened in the wake of 1993 was with that thin amount of capital that came in as a result of Black people supporting this film, they were able to parlay that into creating the institution Sankofa Film and Books, where which is a they, they refer to it as a liberated space. And Holly's editing room is in there, you know, Shriek's office, Shriek's offices are in there, and the bookstore is there, the DVDs. And when Ava DuVernay, uh, in, in part because of her connection to her cinematographer, who was one of Holly's students, the great Bradford Young, um, along with Arthur Jaffa, so many others who have been Holly's students, but uh, it was Bradford Young who kind of brings Ava around to finally have the physical connection with Holly because she went to school out there as well, UCLA. So, I mean, she's, I was introduced to Holly Green. I mean, he's part with Julie Dash and Charles Burdett and Larry Clark, uh, that group they call the, uh, I should have, I thought I had one of those books around here called the LA Rebellion. But at any rate, oh yeah, here's one. This is, I mean, I don't necessarily recommend these are books that you, you know, it's probably LA Rebellion is what they call that group of filmmakers that was around them. But, um, it's very interesting when you look at at, uh, at this group. These are filmmakers who were very, very serious. In fact, the book begins once upon a time in the West, L.A. Rebellion by Clyde Taylor. Clyde Taylor, brilliant brother. Um, Clyde Taylor, who was a longtime professor uh, at New York University, uh, came out of Howard University, um, still live and kicking. I use his book, in fact, with my black aesthetics class uh the mask of art i encourage you all because he talks about breaking the aesthetic contract art film and literature clyde taylor is the man simply put in fact my students were so moved by clyde taylor when i first started teaching that book which was maybe i'd been at howard maybe two three years so this was in the early 2000s no yeah it was early 2000 the book came out in 98 Taylor, uh, they invited him to come down from New York for a conference. And I'll never forget it. After a day long, these are undergraduate students. These aren't graduate students, professional students. These are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds mostly. And they had all done papers and presentations and analysis of, of his book. Clyde Taylor, and I'm just going to take a second with this because he's the man who is credited with, turn, with giving the label L.A. Rebellion to these black filmmakers uh, who were from you know, different parts of the United States. And in Holly's case, uh, Ethiopia, where he had, he had immigrated uh, from Ethiopia. And we're going to talk about Haiti and immigrants. So all this ties together, of course, because we're talking about black movements, as as Cedric Robinson might have called it, black movements in America, to, to use the title of his um his small book, which I teach in my introduction to African American States class, in which you all will be introduced to a variation of that on narrative as we load those, those course those courses. Um, this is the table of contents in uh, The Mask of Art by Clyde Taylor. Color-coded art theory is chapter one, where he challenges us to uh, displace whiteness as the normative kind of orientation for the way we think about the world. And he uses art to do it. He says, we look at quote-unquote classical architecture and say it's Greco-Roman. And then but none of the none of the buildings downtown Washington D.C. have any paint on them. They're all classical architecture, meaning neutral colors, meaning white and and off white neutral color. And he says the Greeks painted all their buildings, but what you saw was a ruin after thousands of years of rain and wear and tear. And now it's just sitting there, and you think that's the default? He said whiteness is a color too. 
you can call it the absence of color, but it's a color too. And so when you say, are there any colors on the wall? No, I don't see any colors. You see that big, you see white? Yeah, that's a color. But he's, the power of whiteness is in its invisibility. So he goes from there and he, I mean, the, the, the thing is brilliant. I mean, he, you know, he reads Star Wars, for example, as Birth of a Nation. Wow. So he said, he said, this is, a, you got slaves. They call them droids. But, and, and look at, and look at the eloquent slave. You know, this is, you remember they named black people Pompey and Caesar and said, yeah, like Caesar and Planet of the Apes. Well, they just moved it to the androids in, uh, and then you've got the Jedi Knights that are like the clan. Why? Because they've got the force. And, and in the case of uh, Birth of a Nation, the force is Christianity. And what are they protecting? Well, they're protecting white womanhood, of course, Princess Leia. And they're doing it against the blackness, the darkness out of the force. I mean, I mean, it, I mean the metaphors aren't yeah. <laughs> But Clyde Taylor is, uh, and, and, you know, the irony of that, of course, is Brad Young, one of Holly's students, is a cinematographer on a couple of these recent Star Wars movies. So when you have uh, John Boyega running around, I think he had a, he had an incredible amount of dialogue and in, in those. What it, um, oh yeah, I'm sorry. His dialogue in for long stretches consists of uh, Ray, Ray. But at any rate, uh, <laughs> so the white woman. Anyway, that's not. But but Brad is was the cinematographer for uh, for those movies, which is ironic given Clyde Taylor's. Uh, critique of Star Wars, and of course Clyde Taylor is the one who labeled uh, um, Holly Garima, his teacher, as part of the L.A. Rebellion, him being being Brad Young. But at any rate, um, anyway, Cl Clyde Taylor, I just finished this quick story. Clyde Taylor was, he came to came to D.C. And we were at the Ralph Bunch Center at, on campus at Howard University, and it's probably about maybe a core of about 50 students. And they had all read this book, which is a very advanced book, but I don't believe in dumbing down curriculum. We can all get there. We just need the tools. Man, so it came time for him to give the keynote address. It was that afternoon. He stood there. He got up and he was very quiet for a moment. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm a bit emotional. He said, you never know when you write a, a book like this who's going to read it and how it's going to be received. He said, at the time I was writing, I felt like I was so far out there that maybe nobody would uh, would read it. In fact, in a, in a later in an email, he sent to one of the young uh, people who were the organizers, who now has a PhD himself, Mel Barrow, Kadiri Barrow. He said, you know, sometimes when you're trying to teach something or you have an idea and you let it into the world, it's like a whisper to an Orisha. You just don't know where it's going to go. And he said, when I came in that room and saw you young people, then y'all come to me, ask me to sign your book. Y'all not PhD students. You're not master students. Y'all undergraduate students. You young people. Some of y'all teenagers. He said, I, I, I never would have thought. And then that's one of the, uh, the great experiences, I would say, in my life as a teacher to understand that that's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do. But capitalism? That's what you do every day on the radio. That's what you do now. Uh, and that's what we're all doing with narrative and Nubia. That's what we do in this class on Saturdays. It's you send it into the universe. You attract like, and just like the Grimas filmmakers, people find themselves and then they want to know how to build and you build movements. But if you don't, if you try to do it by yourself, you don't, you don't make much progress because individuals don't be institutions, which is why I know finally that, you know, there is a fundamental contradiction at the heart of attempting to 
navigate the social structure with the idea that somehow you're going to transform it. And that contradiction in the world we live in, the modern world system is capitalism. And Melvin Van Peebles, as I said, we're going to end with this now because we're going to end up talking about this. This is a copy of a journal called Black Cinema Aesthetics. It's not even really a journal. It uh, is some papers that were put together um, called the Ohio University Papers on Afro-American, African, and Caribbean Studies. It was published at Ohio University in 1982. There was a conversation between Melvin Van Peebles, recent ancestor, Pearl Bowser, very important figure, his sister, uh, St. Clair Bourne, the great filmmaker, documentary filmmaker primarily, and Holly Garima around Sweetback. And one of the things that, in fact, I'll just show it to y'all. One of the things that this is where I'm going to end, because one of the things that Melvin Van People says, because he's a guerrilla filmmaker too, independent filmmaker, but he dances with Hollywood, which is interesting. He says the dominant culture has one immense weak spot, an Achilles pocketbook. <laughs> so he's him and Holly are arguing back and forth about whether or not the, the main character or the film, even the film Sweet Sweetback, is revolutionary or not. And so we, we'll talk about that in a minute. But in the in the middle of this discussion, which is really it's an argument, but it's a good argument. Ain't no if you no no no. They, they're having a real debate discussion. He says, you know, we are this is guerrilla filmmaking because one thing about these people, this culture has an Achilles pocketbook. They want to make money. And Ava DuVernay, as far as I can tell from a distance, I, I don't know the sister, but, you know, in, in terms of all the respect she's shown for Holly, he's been out there the last week in a in a um, master class with filmmakers. Uh, several hundred applied. There were 15 slots. I mean, she is she's building what she calls um, uh, uh, an, an iteration, a variation, but a grounding kind of institutional formation that she's modeled on Sankofa on the West Coast and training filmmakers. Um, and I'll say this out loud. I don't know her personally either, but not only does she have the heart from all of the things she's done, from Selma to When They See Us to Queen Sugar, but also she hooks people up. Like she she makes sure exactly. that she goes back and brings <laughs> people forward. I mean, Michelle and Cello, it's it does the music. I mean, no one, you know, this is a brilliant mu musician that kind of, to me was lost. She brought her forward to do the music for Queen Sugar. And you just, you look at the directing, all of the different women, black people that she's, you know, given directors caps to. And I just, you know, that is, you measure, you know, a tree by the fruit that it bears. That's right. And you know, what, fruit are you producing you can see her fruit so that's exactly right and, and you know it's so funny you say that because first of all that's exactly right and that really is the model of how you build institutions you attract people and you build and you put people on like you say now the irony is and here's where the, the interesting thing comes in she's she sits on the board of this new um museum academy uh the academy's museum academy of most picture film motion picture and film i mean they have a museum they've created. The museum, ostensibly, allegedly, apparently, is different than the Motion Picture Academy in the sense that the museum is supposed to be dedicated toward elevating and extending uh, narratives which speak to the, um, the, the contributions of filmmakers who have not been at the center of, of uh, 
uh, of Hollywood discourse of, of this kind of studio system, this capitalist system of, 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 of movie making. And uh, today, actually, Holly Garima will receive the inaugural Vantage Award. The Vantage Award is going to be given to him by this new museum. This new museum uh, as one of those filmmakers who tells another story, tells a different story, is grounded in his story. Now, the irony is they are honoring him, co-honoring him with another Visionary Award honoree. He's not receiving it by himself. The person he's receiving it with is Sophia Loren, the Academy okay. Museum. This is their opening gala tonight. Now, what's the irony in that? Holly, for the last 20 years, has been working on, well, he works on several projects, and he makes movies intermittently. So Teza, they made, uh, which is about Ethiopia and then and, and the uh, revolution of the 1970s. And it's back and forth between Ethiopia and Germany. It's a fascinating film. Um, Adwa, which is about the Battle of Adwa and the, the African victory over the Italians in 1896 and so forth. I mean, a number of films, but these two films that are nearing another stage, in fact, one is almost completely complete now. He's made an epic film on the Italo-Ethiopian War of 1935. Every every time, I, every day I go over there and I'm, I'm going to his editing room, he in there working on that film. I'm just, I learned so much just watching him. I mean, just the, the rhythm of that genius form of matching the music and matching the, like, wow, man, and editing, going back and forth, going back and forth, going back and forth. Anyway, I started to say, Sophia Loren is Italian. And we know her from the movies. <laughs> now you say that she ain't had nothing to do with the Italian-Ethiopian War. This is about Italy and fascism. These are about countries mm -hmm. and about it. But the irony that after all these years, and he has said this in interviews, I mean, in the last few days, Vanity Fair, the Washington Post, there's been stuff all over, New York Times, the LA Times, have been all over. He said, you know, I am conflicted right now about allowing them to honor me. He said, the point of entry for me, and he, he's the one who coined in, in my mind in terms of his usage, the way I use it with my students, point of entry. He said, the point of entry for me was, was Ava. You know, and 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 so he's I wouldn't be out here except, you know, she was like, come on. And then, of course, his his students and all the folks who have been very successful, they're prevailing upon him. But they know him. Man, I don't know if I had wanted to do that. I could. Charles Burdett. And I encourage you all. If you have never seen uh, Charles Burdett, his most famous film is probably Killer of Sheep. Which one of those independent filmmakers, you know, out of the LA Rebellion? Uh, Julie Dash, her most famous film, and she's been shut out of Hollywood, really. She's yeah. done a number of other, you know, Daughters of the Dust. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're all out the LA Rebellion. But Charles Burdett, they try, you know, they lure him into the contest. So he's been in that dance. Uh, then he made a film with Danny Glover that, as far as I'm concerned, out of his films, to me, it's my favorite with Danny Glover. It's called To Sleep with Anger. Oh, man, that film, you tell, if you're a Southerner, or know anybody from, I mean, that film is so full of, I mean, it's just incredible. Allegory, uh, Mary Alice is in it. I mean, so many other people, Shirley Ralph. I mean, it's a whole lot, it's a brilliant cast. Uh, but then Hollywood gives him, you know, he a little bit of a halfway budget. And he made a movie called The Glass Shield with Ice Cube in them. And, it, you know, Holly is, you know, they're all very close. But now I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't even want the invitation. So for him tonight, I wish I could, and I'm going to hear about it, obviously, when they all come back, but I really wish I could be there for whatever is going to come out of his mouth. I'm not sure that he knows. 
<laughs> but I, but 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 as uh <laughs> as James Brown told his uh band before they started off into uh 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 make it funky, <laughs> what you gonna say, Holly? I don't know, but whatsoever it is, it's got to, it's got be, to be funky. <laughs> no question. <laughs> so I don't know what he gonna say, but whatsoever it is, it's gonna be funky. <laughs> and so, because this is the man who has never moved toward Hollywood, <laughs> so I don't know what he's gonna say. So I, I got up this morning thinking there's so much to cover. And, yeah. you know, I don't know how you do what you do, uh, but I know. You do it like we're doing it now. It's like you're you're a genius. You you put nah. all of it together. I'm like, how you going to work in Haiti, Melvin Van Peoples, <laughs> and it's like the other 50, 11 things that happened this week. But Yes. Well, Haiti is easy. I mean, I say easy because it's hard mm. uh, in the sense that, Haiti, I mean, what we're basically talking about today, really, I mean, all these conversations that we've already started and that we'll continue to have, they're really about narrative, to use, obviously, the site we're in right now. Those of you on YouTube understand, we, we're live right now in narrative and Nubia. So, you know, from the, where do we stand in time and space? Where do we stand in the world? And once we have a place to stand, we understand, to, to, to borrow from Holly Grima again, we have to tell our own stories. And we don't tell those stories in a way that compromises what we have to say. That doesn't mean that it's always uh, pretty. In fact, Pearl Bowser, because she's in this conversation, they're all debating, discussing Sweetback. And one thing Pearl Bowser says to, uh, to Melvin Van Peebles in this conversation they had in 1980, um, you know, Sweetback it out nine years, it's the film, you know, the the New York Times and the obituary of Mario Van Peebles on uh, in Thursday's paper call him the godfather of cinema, which of course shows once again the abysmal ignorance of all the social structure newspapers. New York Times, uh, since you don't know enough about black filmmaking, I mean, maybe you mean the first one who was visible to you, but Pearl Bowser raises the thing. She says, you know, there are some questions I have around Sweetback with regard to gender and representation. But one thing I think we can all kind of agree on is that one of the things that Mario Van Peebles' 1971 movie Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, which, like Sankofa, you raise the money, you try to get a distribution deal, can't get a distribution, okay, fine. You distribute it yourself. So the first two theaters it showed in was in Detroit and Atlanta. And Mario Van Peebles, um, I keep saying Mario, obviously, and condolences to the whole family. Mel Van Peebles said, I was in Atlanta watching the film, sitting in the audience. And it was an older black lady. And she's looking at the hero, Sweetback. And, you know, there's a whole narrative there. He's in a brothel, comes up in a brothel. Eventually, he develops what Van Peebles would say as a revolutionary consciousness. Then Holly pushes back, like, what was revolutionary about? And then they get into this whole back forth. But he says... As as he's watching, as, as we're watching the movie, this this older black lady watching the police, and he, she's saying, "Please, please let him die. Don't let them kill him. Let him die. In other words, let him die another way. Don't let the police kill him. Don't let the white people kill him." And, and Melvin Matt people says, "You know what that speaks to is." the limits of our vision at that point. Because you watch a movie, you expect black people to get killed. That's still the joke in our generation, ain't it, Karen? You see a black people in the movie, how long before he get eaten up yep. by a shark or killed by, you know what I'm saying? So just living to the end of the movie, you know what I'm saying? But, but I raise that because Pearl Bowser then brings up the, the, uh, the fact that Sweetback got a lot of pushback 
in black communities. And the response that Van Peebles gives, and it's a, I think it's a very important and on point response, and Bowser agrees and they have a conversation, is that sweet back, sweet, sweet back, sweet, sweet back's badass song really shatters in terms of Hollywood, in terms of motion picture releases that kind of are adjacent to the studio complex, the class dimensions. Because it isn't guess who's coming to dinner. It's not the films of Oscar Michaud, which have their own class issues that Holly raises in the conversation they're having in terms of trying to put your quote unquote best foot forward. Mm-hmm. These them Negroes. So, you know, the people that Kanye is talking about in Jesus walks, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The, the, the pimps, the pushes, the dope dealers. In other words, these are the people Jesus was hanging out with. Now, I'm not talking about the well-cologned and well-perfumed Negroes who turn their nose up as they drive through the neighborhood on the way to church. I'm talking about them Negroes that they passed, which would include Jesus Christ, by the way. I always laugh when I go in mega churches. I'm saying, I wonder what y'all, if Jesus knocked at this door, would y'all let him sleep in here tonight? Since y'all, since it's his house, right? It's his house, right? But anyway, but but Bowser, but the class dimension is important to keep in first and our foremost in mind. So how do we represent class? Because it isn't always pretty. So what we're seeing now in Haiti, in terms of the, the conversation about what's going well, not not what we're seeing in Haiti. Haiti's invisible. Haiti's completely invisible. This conversation we're having now is not about the governance structure of Haiti. It's about the social structure of the modern world system, and particularly the United States and Canada and France and all the people that ganged up on the second country in the Western Hemisphere to overthrow settler colonialism. The first, even though it was white settler colonialism and white on white crime, was the United States of America, 1776. Within a uh, within a quarter century, the second was Haiti. These are the first two independent former colonies in the Western Hemisphere in the wake of white settler colonialism, but they've been messing with Haiti ever since, as we talked about extensively. If y'all going through narrative, you know, all that stuff is there now. Y'all can go over and look. So we're not going to do that today, but it is about narrative and representation. How do you tell the story? What we're talking about right now, people are outraged because they've seen a white boy on a horse whipping whipping black people. You should be outraged, but that's still a one-on-one piece symbolic of a crisis that is not a crisis of Haiti. It's a crisis of the United States. He, everything that's going on in Haiti right now in terms of the fact that there is no government in Haiti. And for that, I, I'm indebted to, I was listening uh, yesterday to uh, Sister Esther Iverum, who has a regular show, brilliant show on WPFW here in Washington, D.C. called uh, On the Margin. And she had another sister who is uh, another very brilliant sister, uh, uh, Jamima Pierre, who is a professor out there on the West Coast, um, UCLA, um, formerly at Vanderbilt, uh, Jamaican. I'm sorry, Jamaican. Lord, she whipped me for that. Haitian American who was really breaking it down. And one of the things Jamima said is there's no independent sovereign state in Haiti. Now, if y'all have gone through our conversations, Karen, you are in our conversations. If y'all have gone through those, you know that you already know that. But she did a very good summary of that. And what she was going through is how every wave of Haitian migration out of Haiti, Haitian immigration with an E, has been triggered by external interference, primarily the United States. So the people we're seeing in Texas, what's their narrative? Because guess what? There are more people at Mexico's southern border. Border because the United States government is paying 
are pushing and paying and subsidizing and, and cajoling and arm twisting the Mexican government to be the police on their southern border to stop the migrant. And it isn't, of course, just Haitians, it's Dominicans, it's Cubans, Black Cubans. It is people who have been displaced because primarily of American geopolitics and interference. And so the first thing we, we, we're tying all together is we have to tell our stories. We have to have our narratives. The other thing is that this is really helping us understand all these topics we, we're bringing up in these next few minutes. It's helping us understand the electric border and the tension point between, in our Africana studies framework, the social structure and the governance structure. Who are Africans to other people? See, right now, what we're calling a humanitarian crisis, it ain't no humanitarian crisis on the southern border that the United States didn't create. And the reason those people are there is not because they hate Haiti. The United States and its white partners in league with the United Nations, the group they call the core group, which includes some of those Latin American countries. We'll mention, I'll mention that for a minute because uh, Dr. Pierre did a very good uh, job, very powerful job of explaining how those Haitians got to Brazil in 20, 2009, 2010. Remember, it was an earthquake in Haiti in 2010. But more importantly, remember that after the United States uh, participated in the coup that got rid of the uh, popularly elected, I won't use the word democratic. I try to stay away from that word. Language is important. Um, there was no democracy in ancient Greece, but let's just say popularly elected, the, the people the people chose Jean-Bertrand Aristide to be the leader of Haiti. And then the United States said, we can't work with this guy because he's not going to make Haiti open for business, as Sweet Mickey said many years later, as we talked about, we're going to get to that in a second. So they, they participated in a coup and they got rid of him in 2001, then 2010. It was an earthquake in Haiti. And after the earthquake, they had a cholera outbreak because then the UN comes in there. And one, one of the major contingents of soldiers comprising the UN uh, force in Haiti that spread the cholera outbreak was from Brazil. And this is under Brazil under Lula da Silva, which is a whole nother thing. But again, y'all go back and look at our videos. You look at our, our conversations. You can talk about that. Anyway. One of the reasons that so many Brazilian, uh, so many Haitians end up in Brazil is because the, the Brazilians are using them as cheap labor because they're getting ready for uh, the World Cup. Hmm. And so that's how they end up in Brazil. But the brutality that takes place in Brazil, worse than the kind of genteel brutality under Negro leadership in a place like, say, Atlanta in 1995 and 96, when they got rid of people who were unhoused so they could host the 1996 Olympics and have Muhammad Ali come out there and light that torch like that was such a triumph. And I encourage y'all again, if y'all watching Ken Burns propaganda on Ali to get this book, The Great Ishmael Reads, The Complete Muhammad Ali, where he tells you about that politics. But anyway, you know, he displaced anytime you have an Olympics. First thing you do is sweep them people you don't want them people that Mel Van Peebles making movies about, them people that Haile Garima is capturing and things like Sankofa, you sweep them out of the way because the social structure ain't got no room in the class dimension for any of them poor people because you're going to celebrate. God only knows what happened to the human beings in China and who God only knows what was happening to the people in Japan before COVID hit so they could put their best face forward. But if we know what happened in Brazil, they are turning out the flavellas. 
which are primarily Afro-Brazilians. And then who's getting imported to work for damn near nothing? Haitians. Because you in Haiti beating them up and spreading disease in the UN after the earthquake. Naomi Klein calls it disaster capitalism. So some of those Haitians that are under the bridge, and that number is increasingly dwindling, shout out to the mummy, Joe Biden, who uh, has continued the policy of the Trump administration, who continued intensified in some ways the, the policy of the Obama administration, who continued the policy of the Bush administration, who continued the policy of the Clinton administration, who continued the policy of the Bush administration, who continued, in other words, the policy of people think, man, don't beat up on Obama. Yeah. You know why I beat the hell out of Barack Hussein Obama? It's because I understand politicians not your friend. You know how I'm treating him? like a president of the United States. Ain't that what Negroes want, to be treated equally? Well, let's treat him equally then. Why are you treating him different? Because he's black. He's, an, he's the president of the United States. And under Obama, who was his secretary of state? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to remember. What was her name? What was her name? Oh, yeah, Hillary Clinton. Did y'all know Um, in January 2010, they had an election in Haiti after the earthquake after they done blocked Aristide from running again, after U.S., Canada, and France staged a coup in 2004 to get rid of Aristide, followed by a U.N. occupation force after an American stabilizing force came in. 2010, who was president of the United States? Oh, yeah, Obama. Who was Secretary of State? Oh, yeah, Hillary Clinton. Who got on a plane, flew to Port-au-Prince, and told Rene Preval, who was the sitting prime minister, that his candidate, for president had to withdraw from the runoff because they had somebody they favored more, a dude named uh, Martel, sweet Mickey Martelli. Martelli comes in, again, y'all go look at these. Martelli comes in and says, okay, he wins the election because the United States wanted him. And he declares that Haiti is open for business. Why? <laughs> because you see, uh, they had a deal, that flight, by the way, if y'all want to look it up, it wasn't from 2010, the earthquake was 2010. It was January the 30th, 2011, when Hillary Clinton flew down there. The, they had a project they wanted to put together called, y'all look it up, Caracol Industrial Park, C-A-R-A-C-O-L, Caracol Industrial Park, $300 million project, about 600 acres. Uh, they got it off the ground, but it kind of dwindled because Martelli threw them a curveball and the thing kind of collapsed. Uh, Ban Ki-moon was the UN general secretary at the time. You remember Ban Ki-moon? He was the secretary of trade in South Korea. And a lot of the companies that came in to occupy this park were uh, under the South Korean banner and they make uh, cheap clothing, you know, stuff y'all buy at Walmart and Target and uh, places like that, The Gap, yeah, Haiti. So the whole point is that once the country's back open for business, they can continue to do what, in fact, uh, Hillary Clinton had a term for it. I'm trying to remember what her term was. Uh, oh yeah, she called it um, economic statecraft. What does that mean? That means we are going to make sure that whatever government you have plays ball with our businesses. That is Haiti's relationship to the United States and has been for over a century. We are going to make sure that whatever government is there, because remember, as we talked about, the United States occupied Haiti from 1915 to 34. And then after they left, they made sure whoever was in there played ball with them. So next time you're picking up a package of draws, 
in Walmart, which you, you, you think about where them draws got stitched together. And you're going to connect that to those Haitians under the bridge who are coming here, many of them with family. But at any rate, let me, let me not get too far afield in this because we don't have a whole lot of time this morning. But what you see in the wake of 2011 is a series of stooges, not elected by the people, but vetted by the United States. So Martelli, he leaves office. Who comes in after him? Oh, yeah, Moise. Moise gets assassinated, the banana man. He's assassinated. So then there's no government now. As uh, Dr. Pierre, as Jamima says, there's no independent sovereign state in Haiti. They've wiped that off. Even as there are people who are trying to organize to build a sovereign state, I'm talking about the people, not the NGOs. I'm talking about people in Haiti who don't want foreign occupation, who have very proud people who don't want to leave their home country. Are you kidding? Haiti's history is the is the history with all its difficulties. It's still the history. They don't want to leave. But as they're trying to organize, who's working against them on the ground? The United States, Canada, France, the core group, the UN messing with them as they're trying to organize. So they can't even get the momentum. What they really want is everybody get the hell out. Let us continue to figure this out. We will figure this out. Oh, no, we can't interfere. Why? We need them cheap draws and baseballs. We need them $9 uh, shirts in the gap. We need them jeans. Are you crazy? Lost your mind. Levi Strauss trying to get in there. You know, we got to deal with the South Koreans. They. This is what Hillary Clinton calls economic statecraft. And I'm not putting this on Hillary Clinton by herself. I'm putting it on the institutions. This is how business works and this is how statecraft works with business to interfere, particularly when you've got independent, independent folk. So metaphorically, whether you show up with a treatment like I'm going to make a movie called Sankofa and Hollywood was like, you can't make no movie like this. You poisoning Negroes and white people and you cutting people's throats and you got Africans in here speaking and you got everybody. And one of Holly's thing is, I don't remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. I said. We don't cast, uh, we don't cast uh, Africans like me to play African roles in the diaspora because them Africans you trying to avoid the reminder blacks as he calls them. We're not gonna do that. And when Muda Baruka is in there, and you, Professor Hunter, let me ask you right quick before I continue. Did we see any subtitles in Sankofa? No. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, and you learn the language. You learn the language. Well, because black people speak Ebonics, meaning what? Even if you can't follow Muda Baruka word for word, you know exactly what he said. Why? Right. See, y'all go stop messing with black people like we speak white. No, it's not slang. <laughs> Your snake gonna eat what up in the belly of the frog. What? You heard what he said. <laughs> and if you didn't pick it up the first time, you damn near you damn sure what he meant by it. Now somebody else like we need subtitles. They putting subtitles in these HBO documentaries where you got somebody in Baltimore or New York. and so, Why y'all got subtitles? You got subtitles, somebody in Mississippi, some old lady in Mississippi. Got, what the hell? What y'all saying is we didn't make this movie for y'all. We made it for the social structure. I seen subtitles in that damn Ali documentary. I'm looking at Rahman and they using his European name, Ali's brother, which I will not repeat. And I'm saying, boy, y'all love framing this up. Y'all had them damn Ali scribes from minute one Episode one, here comes Thomas Hauser. Here comes Ng. Here come the Ali scribes, as uh, as Ishmael Reed called. But there are no subtitles in Sankofa because everybody playing roles based on where they from because that's who Black people are in the governance structure and that's how we were in resistance. So when you see in Haiti 
the metaphor I was saying is you make a script like that, you come to Hollywood, they're like, nah, we don't, we, we, we've got some actors. In fact, we've got this hot new hip hop artist who we want to play the lead role. Get the hell out of here. In Haiti, they're like, we are independent. We done built our thing. We're going to continue to build it. And the United States, no, 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 no. We've got this uh, feckless uh, thug, or we've got this uh, singer in the case that we want to be the prime minister. Why? Because we're trying to build this external interference from the social structure so after you may they put their man in martelli he's gone then you put in uh moise you can't even protect him they take him out and then this little handful of elected officials they have which ain't really a government it's really bourgeois politics in other words it's kind of a little small upper class haitian group all right let's get together let's try to regroup they decide they're going to name somebody. I mean, we talked about this. You know, I say it's like, hell no. The Biden administration was like, hell no. Ariel Henry is going to be your prime minister to the elections. So they don't put somebody else in there. So this cat that resigned and everybody's cheering, he resigned. Dude, you were the official delegate to the swearing in of Henri from the Biden administration. You just mad because the shit's an overflowed. And if y'all want to know something about him, y'all better go back and trace where he else he has been in Central America. He was in Africa. He's He's been declared persona non grata in West Africa. I mean, in some words, you know, as John Henry Clark says, some stories, it ain't no good guys. So yeah, yeah, we glad you resigned. And yeah, this is terrible. The optics are terrible. But that ain't the only point of entry for immigration. What's going on in Texas, in California, all along the southern U.S. border, what's going on has very little to do with I love America. In fact, damn near nothing to do with I love America. Oh, footnote, message to uh, Bill Maher. It's not a nation, bruh. So you on TV, I think you was on TV last night talking about, I think there should only be one anthem. I don't care what anthem, but it should only, the NFL is going to have two anthems. Bruh, there's no nation. So when you say national anthem, I just start laughing. Well, I ain't watched the NFL game since y'all put old boy out the league, so therefore it don't matter to me. But what, you know, and maybe if you come to DC, we'll get a DC cab and drive your ass somewhere where there may be one anthem and there's a nation. But you know, anyway, y'all know that joke if you remember where Bill Maher came from. But um, the the idea is that in Haiti they've been interfered with. There's no independent sovereign nation. They now. Are the, the United States and all their clients and their people with them trying to create a space where they can continue to do business in Haiti? Meanwhile, the Haitians who have left Haiti years ago, if y'all read the stories, like the welder in Panama that they covered in the New York Times the other day, who has been there for years, now he speaks Spanish, acquired Spanish, and then was told, you know, I can reunite with my family in the United States. So sold everything, moved up through the peninsula, getting robbed. You got rapists following these people from country to country to country. Remember this, it ain't like they got on a plane and flew to the Mexican border. Every border they encounter is conflict because the United States got a list of client puppet governments that they put heat on to stop them. Every They have had to fight at every border. Why? Because they want to see the Statue of Liberty? No, because my auntie live in Fort Lauderdale. My wife is in New York City. My daughter or my cousin or my grandma's in little Haiti and in Miami. Y'all think I'm coming here because I love it so much? You think I carved out a life in Brazil because I wanted to leave Haiti? Y'all keep messing with us. And so those iterations, they end up here. And what you then see is some of them are being let in. There are a number at Houston. If you, uh, um, 
um, Freddie Haynes Church in Houston. Uh, Linda Sarsour and them were down there. Ron Martin covered it the other day. You see Linda Sarsour and them and a bunch of people, black people, bringing supplies. They can't go to the bridge. Why? Because that shovel mouth governor of Texas then deputized every damn person from all of his uh, law enforcement to the damn Lone Ranger to try to stop anybody from getting there. They didn't blocked out the press, but they are letting some people in and allowing them to come back for dates before they deport them. Biden now, they're flying, I think now the number is seven flights a week. They're about 145 people each flight. You got black people like this brother I just mentioned in Panama, they put him on a plane. Next thing you know, he's at Toussaint Louverture International Airport in Port-au-Prince. Like, I don't know nobody. I don't have anything here. I haven't been here in a decade. And and now they say, oh, well, see, they get, see, now you turn these people loose. There's a humanitarian crisis in Haiti. Why? Because they've got, this is the only thing they'll mention about Haiti. They got gangs there. that's ungovernable there. Who took out the government? For decades, who put in puppets for decades? When they did elect a president, who took him out? Not once, but twice. You did. <laughs> so, uh, Helen wanted to know on uh, Nubia, how, how, why do they keep letting this happen? She wants to know, you know, why do these Haitian presidents, the, these men, keep allowing the United States to come in and do this and get their way? And it's never a way out. Well, you could, you could think of it in some ways as uh, they have big Tim Scott energy. Um, shout out to Tim, mission accomplished Scott for tanking that weak George Floyd act last week. And shout out to uh Cory Booker for finding his the courage of his conviction to say, I gave away the whole farm, and you still wouldn't even reinstate what Trump had with regard to his executive order. So now I know you were BSing, but by, by that I mean there's always some Negro you can buy, and what you have in Haiti is a very tiny bourgeoisie who profits. So if they can have their armed guards and their gated community in places like Petionville in, um, in Port-au-Prince, and some of you all know what I'm talking about, that's where they murdered uh, the prime minister. That's why they, where they murdered Moise. He thought he was safe. Then you can always find some complicit Negroes. You can find a Negro in Hollywood to say, I'll do the dance. What do you want me to do? I'll wear the dress. I'll put on the wig sideways. I'll be the coon in this movie. In other words, and so Haiti is no different. But what you also have is the vast majority of people who just want to live their lives, who are proud members of their family, their community. In other words, you have all these human types. So it's not so much that Haiti is letting it happen. In fact, I'm glad you raised that because really what, um, what, and I'm going to scroll down here so I can, yes, thank you, Helen. Really what you what this shows is the amount of time, energy, and resources, which include our tax dollars, that this government, this United States government spends to keep Haiti in disarray so they can keep the business interests going. And, and then there's also, in terms of representation, the importance of not allowing people to get ideas about self-determination. This is another reason why the Garimas have been independent filmmakers. When you watch a film like Sankofa, you don't come out of that film feeling bad about black people. Damn, we took another ass with them. <laughs> I think, I think uh, Chiwetel Ojiofor is an incredible actor. I love watching that brother. I did not love him in 12 Years a Slave. Why? <laughs> you don't see none of that. 
even the sellout Negroes in Sankofa figure out a way to redeem themselves. <laughs> you know what I'm this Negroes, you're going to absolutely hate in this movie. And by the end, you'll be like, I still hate that Negro, but at least you found your character. Not this. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and thank God Steve McQueen has continued to make movies because I promise you, I you're unforgivable to me, bro. But then you made small acts and now you got another one coming out. You're getting better. And to something Ava DuVernay says, and many times when she's interviewed, they ask her, you going to make more movies? Why you go to TV? She said, you know, here's the thing about an art. And you know this as a, as a craftsperson, Karen, as a writer, as a broadcaster, as, a, as an institution builder. And we both know this as teachers. You have to practice your craft. So one of the things Abe DuVernay says is, you know, I make television in part because I get to constantly get better, constantly improve, constantly. You know, the, 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 the master class that Holly's been doing this last week, mm. I'm sure he's been telling these young filmmakers this. And in fact, they're having a retrospective at the museum after they get him his award tonight. And he calls his, he's, he calls his practice an imperfect practice. He says, I'm an imperfect filmmaker. In fact, if you ask him about Sankofa, he said it was an imperfect film. But all film is imperfect. And I, I, every time I watch it, I see the imperfections. He said, but then at the lights would come up and I would be mobbed by black people. He said, African-Americans saved me. He said, I was coming out of Ethiopia. I've been raised by the Peace Corps. We thought Tarzan was the man. I told my own father that the uh, Europeans helped us and intervened in the war. That's why he keep making it <laughs> help save us from the Italians because I had been bombarded with Hollywood propaganda. He said, but when I came out of Sankofa, these very same black people in America that took me in as Ethiopian and helped me find my consciousness, he said, these people are hugging me. These people have got me to their breast. I can feel their heartbeat. And they're just like, thank you, thank you. They're cheering. And you can imagine each place they're cheering in the movie. You know what I'm saying? You can imagine. You don't come out of that movie feeling like, damn, we took another ass. You come out of Harriet like, yeah, well, Bigger Long. Damn, y'all not even trying. Y'all made up a character called Bigger Long? In a movie in 2020? Are you damn serious? I mean, in other words, y'all not even trying. So all these movies, and that's why you hear young people say, I don't want to see no damn slave movie. They feel very differently watching Sankofa. They don't mean they don't want to engage in it. They mean quite the opposite. Quit running that BS. Well, in Haiti, these people don't want any more interference. We'll figure it out. But the reason that they haven't been able to figure out is not about their incapacity. It's about how much thunder this big ass country called the United States in this modern world system has let loose on this little third of an island to stop them. Because if you start allowing that kind of imagination to spread, hell, that would be uh, metaphorically the equivalent of maybe giving another season to Lovecraft country where they split up the country. Oh, hell no. Mm, that's it. <laughs> And I know y'all love Michael K. Williams, but he ain't getting no damn award. No, let's just, let's just, could you please just clean this off? Hey, uh, Lenard, come here. Colbert, look, put this minstrel show on because these Negroes out here losing their minds. They got black women walking on water like they God. Okay, that's enough for that too. In other words, you Negroes, and this is on that continuum between I ain't messing with them and I will do anything you ask. There's a negotiation going on. What? Mario Melvin Peoples calls guerrilla filmmaking because he says capitalism, this society has an Achilles pocketbook. Yes, it does, but don't mistake that for a point of entry that guarantees you to win. And so you I don't have any doubt that Martelli, I don't have any doubt that Moise, 
I don't have any doubt that Henri or any of these inserted prime ministers at Haiti, I don't have any doubt that they thought they could get in there and maybe work some rooms to operate. Martelli definitely was becoming non-cooperative, but the guy was a singer. Not to say you can't be a singer and be the president. Hell, we'll probably see one. Well, we already saw, well, he couldn't sing, but an entertainer. But the point is that that doesn't mean, however, that you can. What history shows is, is typically you can't. Typically you can't. So I think that, you know, a couple other things that I just want to mention before we before we kind of wind it up. It's difficult. What we are facing, what we continue to face in the modern world is interference with trying to figure out how we can be free. So as we think about those conceptual categories we have in our African States framework, that kind of overarching, that kind of seventh, but ever present question that, you know, Professor Hunter, that, you know, you, you brilliantly, I think, kind of envisioned that frame all of those other six, the how do it free us to use Sonny Sanchez's uh, uh, question? Yeah, but how do it free us? That is the question we keep asking ourselves. And as we ask ourselves, whether it be in our art, in our cinema, in our music, whether it be in our politics, how do it free us? The answer isn't always going to be the same based on where we are in negotiation with or living in whatever social structure we find ourselves in. And some, you know, this this reinforces the importance of culture and cultural production. And so when you have a Mario Van, uh, I keep saying it, when you, when you have a, a Melvin Van Peebles out of Chicago, a Melvin Van Peebles who becomes a playwright and a filmmaker and writes novels and traveled in France and did all this kind of different stuff. When you have him by the late 60s, early 70s, decide that I'm going to tell stories that haven't been told to give our people a chance to see themselves, that's one way to do it. So when you see a sweet back, sweet, sweet back, and here I'll turn just for a second to this colloquy they had, and I'll show it to you all because it's very interesting. Um, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song and Development of the Contemporary Black Film Movement. It's interesting. Um, the, the conversation they were having, you got highly asking, yeah, how would you clarify the revolutionary aspect of that character, Sweetback? And said Claire Bourne was like, well, the, the character was revolutionary in the sense that he in Sweetback represents the movement from no consciousness of oppression and trying to resist to acquiring a consciousness of resistance. In other words, it's very familiar to regular ass black people. And Holly's like, yeah, but if you get a chance to make a movie, if you make a movie, it should be heroic. You should show images that inspire our people. Van Peebles pushes back like, yeah, cinema not didactic. People are not going to come see that. And so you see the same arguments we be having now, they're having then. He goes back and forth. In fact, he then says that, um, and I'm going to go, and this is this is something I found was very, just very fascinating. Um, one of the pushbacks was, you know, that character in Sweetback, 
was, let me see if I can find the term. I want to make sure. Oh, here we go. St. Clair Bourne, the filmmaker. Holly says this. Exactly what was the revolutionary aspect of the film Sweetback in relation to the barrage of black exploitation films? Because remember, after Sweetback, Shaft came out the same year. Van Peebles makes the point, Shaft was a written, I'll just say this. He says, originally the script of Shaft, Shaft was written for a white actor, but they changed it to a black. They threw in a couple of MFs and that became a black film. There's a scene in Shaft, you remember, that they neglected to delete from the script, which made no sense to a black character. Shaft comes out of a hotel and hails a cab. The cab goes past and he's surprised. He's confounded. But this was written when the guy was white. If you're black in New York and you put your hand up for a cab, you just jump back unless you're going to get run over. They hadn't even bothered to change that. So it became a complete non sequitur. He goes on. But Holly says, okay, yeah, but y'all dodging my question. What's the revolutionary thing, particularly since all these black exploitation movies came out? And this thing right here should be familiar to all of y'all who watch Law & Order, Special Victims Union, Law Order. What's the one now with the sister who has the uh, partner and he has the son? Uh, the one with Elliot from uh, oh, I can't think of Law and Order something. It's the latest. I, don't one. Watch, I watch none of them, so I can't help. Very you. good. Very good. <laughs> Dick Wolf is not in your mind. Very good. That's what, yes, that's very good. That's exactly right. Holly says, what is it? St. Clair Bourne says this. Sweetback was the revolutionary aspect, but Hollywood took that character, desexed him, and made him an extension of the establishment by making him have the badge, as in Cleopatra Jones. Think about every black person they didn't turn into a cop. Badass cop. And then, of course, they give their little Academy Award to Denzel for playing a cricket cop. Not for Malcolm X, not for Steve Biko, not for Hurricane Carter. No, we need you cop, bad cop. Give him the statue. Why? You can't, this is what Clyde Taylor says, you can't beat the art culture complex. They are always thinking in terms of institutions. You're thinking of individual achievement and mad because they ain't give Michael Williams uh, a damn award. Why you want the award in the first place? This is the question of representation. Why don't you make your own award? I'm not talking about the image awards, the NBCP image awards, because that's not your award. You can have black, but in fact, giving out the image awards is probably in the same broad category as being the prime minister of Haiti, nobody voted for. In other words, there's an institutional formation that is intervened on this because they can't do it themselves. So they just rent you to do it. So, and I'm sorry, those of you who are close to the NAACP Image Awards and, uh, you know, I'm not caping for one anyway, so it don't really matter to me, but uh, y'all know what it is. And if you want to have that discussion, you should come on over into, you know, Nubia and we can have that conversation because y'all know what it is. We, we And we know you know, and you know we know. So at any rate, then he goes on, and I want to go just a little bit more into this back and forth they have, because uh, Sweetback, here we go. This is what Van Peebles says. Finally, he says this to Holly, because Holly asked him, instead of beating up one policeman, I would like to see you deal with the system. Dealing with one policeman inside a uniform never answers our people's problems. It's an individual action. What we need is action in the form of mass movements, right? And so, you know, an Ava DuVernay, Brick by brick. Let me push a little bit. How they ain't shrieking them? We're going to do it over here. Okay, I'm going to look at what you're doing. I'm going to take it over here and I'm going to get you to come over. Okay, that, you know, you're trying to build a movement. And as you say, you're going to put people on, you're going to try to build a movement. And one of the things Holly has been saying in anticipation of coming out there to the West Coast this week is, you know, I hope this is sustainable. Meaning movements have to be sustainable. What you have in Haiti, what Randall Robinson called in his book, the unbroken agony is because those people refuse to quit. They're going to triumph because one thing they're not going to do is quit. 
And so you see this move now, the United States ain't gonna quit either, but the United States is increasingly now having problems of its own. Why? Because when you now see the white nationalists have been allowed to do whatever the hell they want, as we've been saying, you know, in our conversations, the night, the, the, the 2020s is looking increasingly to me like the 1860s and 70s, not the 1960s and 70s. No, this is more like the 1860s and 70s. See, because it's not like the 1960s and 70s. In fact, we just passed, I think yesterday was the anniversary of the Little Rock Nine, the integration of Little Rock Central High School. Y'all go back and look at our conversation about that because we only talk about the Little Rock Nine as we talked about in relation to the social structure. So we don't talk about the fact that they came out of Horace Mann High School, many of them. Before that, Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School, the black schools. We don't talk about the fact that most of them did not graduate from Central High School. Ernest Green, who was the only senior, was the first one to graduate. A couple of others graduated. One got a GED from there. Another one of the young sisters had to leave because Arkansas closed down all the schools for a year. The lost year is what they call it in the history of Arkansas. And her people took her to Kansas City, Missouri Central High School. She graduated from Kansas City, Missouri, which was all white, almost all white in 1955 after Brown versus Board of Education. And within six years was all black. White flight. The schools are more segregated now than they were in 1954. But I'm not talking about even the 20th century. But the 19th century, after the Civil War and during Reconstruction, increasingly these white nationalists are loose. They passing whatever laws they want. They, they y'all talking about turning about the clock. They are going in their minds. They are, to use Clyde Taylor's metaphor, using Star Wars, they're the Jedi Knights. They are defending whiteness. They are tapped into the force. And their white women, unlike Princess Leia, have no control over their bodies. Ain't gonna be no General Leia's in, in, in Abbott's, Texas, in DeSantis's Florida. No, we got we got handmaiden energy for y'all, and we got a handmaiden on the Supreme Court now to make sure that we can run this table. And now they, they so out the chain that they on horses, whipping people. <laughs> and, and then Biden administration comes in and said, we're going to temporarily suspend horse. And now you've crossed the Rubicon. Why? Because as I say, in Haiti, they're never going to stop. They're going to continue to resist. United States, you might have to stop. Why? Because y'all done got so off the chain now whether it be Stephen Colbert letting Charlemagne the God put on a minstrel show on VH1, or you letting cowboys whip black people and say, instead of firing them all and taking the horses and giving them to the people in the stables in Philly and Baltimore, you say, I'm gonna temporarily, you made all of us, congratulations, Mr. Mummy, great job. It wasn't Kamala Harris that made us all stand up and raise pride and cheer, it was you who have turned all of us in under a week into Haitians. Finally, <laughs> now we've always caped for Haiti on the periphery, you know, but then there's been the whole internal governance structure, un unintelligent, uninformed, ignorant, meaning the absence of really sitting and thinking about it, understanding of the connection of black people, something that's beautifully portrayed in Sankofa. But you, sir, have given us a common enemy. You have given us a common enemy. All of y'all, where do you stand on Haiti? The sitting vice president of the United States, the one you handpicked to think you might get three more black votes by putting her in, she came out. Now, mind you, this time last week, she was getting ready to flip a coin at a Howard Hampton football game and y'all set her up and gave the entire right wing a talking point. She's playing football. Or she's, she's at a football game and the crisis at the border. Y'all go to hell. Y'all hate black people. 
Don't even put that on her. But even she had to come out. Meanwhile, you still fumbling. Uh, and now you're going to temporarily, temporarily suspend? The United States may not be able to carry this weight much longer. Y'all know the UN met, is meeting now. Began meeting at the beginning of the week. Go look at the speeches that have been at the UN over the last few days. As I mentioned, Muhammad's in Ghana. Biden starts with this, oh, we're going to go and protect. Nobody want to hear that. Excuse me, what? Yes. Excuse me, what? Yes. Uh, Here, here, me. Yeah, look, Texas, I'm right here. These black people sitting up in the UN looking at him like, I mean, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your credibility, your jaws is showing. I'm sorry, them jaws you had made in Haiti, Joe. Is that suit from Haiti, Dominican Republic? In fact, where them socks come from? In fact, let me see the back of that tie. Anyway, we all know how globalism works. You usually hit off our diplomats. You got our stage people. But bit by bit, people in these countries not putting it, putting for it anymore. And in the United States, more and more, those of us who are not part of that structure are like, it ain't no need for us to be quiet now. Because y'all letting your cousins be real off the hook. And all you'll do is say, this is a crisis. But you keep reinforcing these stereotypes. Anyway, now I'll finish up. So Van Peebles and, 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 and Garima and St. Clair Bourne and Pearl Bowser are going, and, and I would encourage you all to look up all of those people. Um, very important. Uh, Pearl Bowser was the director of Third World Newsreel, among many other things. Um, very, very important figures. Um, so Garima is like, look, now that Brother Sweetback, who was made to escape with his penis, is not a new black man on the screen at all, unless he missed history. In other words, Van Peebles like, this is a new figure in cinema. He said, no, he's escaping with his penis. This is not a new figure at all, unless you don't know. He said, when black people who don't have much money to make a movie, when they get money, they should make movies that uplift our people intellectually. We should not be shadow boxing. Mr. Van Peebles' film totally diverted the issue. I respect him. As a black man, he is able to make films. Parenthetically, there are two dimensions. You make a film, can you distribute the film? This is very important. Again, using one of our other categories, science and technology. Netflix, web-based distribution, it's a big deal. Now anybody with a connection and somebody password or their password can watch Sankofa. That was not the case before. That is a major moment at the same time there are trade-offs there are trade-offs because it's netflix and we know netflix is notorious for cheating content creators look at nollywood look at the con I mean, i'm seeing some of it on social media say i'm kind of kind of mixed emotions i'm so glad i get to see sankofa now i can project it my students can watch it my dear sister and friend kathy adams and a claflin university they're gonna have a sankofa watch party it's beautiful at the same time it's netflix you know, it ain't black flicks, it ain't Nubia, it ain't narrative, it's Netflix. So on that continuum, well, we can, you know, they got an Achilles heel, yeah, but Achilles took an L. This one right here, do you have an arrow that can kill the thing? Yeah, I think I do. Okay, you don't know history. So anyway, he keeps going. Garima, um, Van Peebles says this to Hailey. I agree with you. We obviously start at two different points in time. I saw the film as an evolution in understanding from an uncritical character, a guy willing to go along with the cops at first, to a progression in which he develops the consciousness. Then he goes on. He says, "The you don't make movies that are teaching movies. People won't go watch them. He said, I took a guy from where I was at, how I started out, and tried to trace an evolution that didn't happen for the right reason. It happened for the wrong reason. And he goes on. He says, independent filmmakers, this is Van Peebles, 
independent filmmakers don't normally collect their money. I collected mine. I didn't collect my money through theoretical manifestos. Now, when I wanted to do the film, I would have rather done a film such as the one on Fred Hampton, the Panther Brother in Chicago, or Bush Mama. Bush Mama was Hiley's breakout film. Hiley Karima made two films before he graduated from UCLA. Bush Mama, y'all get a chance to see that. Bush Mama, Ashes and Embers, The Wilmington Ten. Oh my God. A film on Sterling Brown. The Academy Museum is doing a retrospective all next week showing all those movies. And I know it's like, yeah, mm, yeah, mm, yeah, mm, social structure, governance structure, social structure, governance structure. So uh, uh, uh. meanwhile, they're going to have 10 more minstrel show movies lined up to go. And half of them got black producers and actors. And we'll celebrate if one of them Negroes gets a statue at the Academy Awards next week, which means, or whenever it comes, which means, did we really make progress? Which is the conflict that I'm sure Holly going to bring up tonight when he make that funky speech. In other words, I'm, not, I'm the guy y'all never wanted. And I'm the guy who never wanted you. So for me to be out here, and Sophia, I know you ain't had nothing to do with the Italian Ethiopian war, but I'm an Italian. You, I mean, I'm an Ethiopian. You an Italian. What the hell? It, it can become demoralizing if you allow yourself to lose focus. So he goes on. Van People says, that's what revolution is. It isn't everybody standing up here on an intellectual high. And it's not meeting, the, it, it is meeting the people where they are. He said, it is starting from where they can see, from where I started, from where the brother started. And then Garima says, now, why wouldn't your brother, the character in the film, have made the same kind of calculation in terms of the immediate satisfaction versus the long-term gains? Holly, and I'll end with this. This is what Holly responds to him with. He says, films don't always have to arouse people, but they must always make you as a human being think. They should never disengage our thinking faculties and he says, you've got black people out here in these society, in society who watch movies like this. And you know what they do? They live their lives like the people on in the movies. He says, oh, wow, ma'am, I wish I could find this quote. Oh, I'm not going to be able to find it because I don't really mark in books like this because he says, oh, I wish I could find it. Mm. Oh, here it is. <laughs> and I had to find it. He says, the reality is that black men are wasted in the streets. Because at this point, they're talking about the gender piece. So I'm going to add women. The reality is that black men, black women, black people are wasted in the streets. They die every day because they go about their lives and freedom in a cowboy way. That's, you got to understand how he, he, he Holly speaks almost in a poet, poetic form. You know, I'm hard. I mean, you know, and then the English is, an, is a, just another language he's acquired. But, and of course, he's been speaking it for decades now, but there's a brilliance to it. So his shorthand in a cowboy way. So yeah, people be watching, um, what is it? They say this is a big, big rich town. Uh, power. 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 Right? And I'm saying, I watch it. And I'm saying, but I can watch it. Because after I watch it, I'm going to cleanse my mind with something else. But somebody else watching that says, yeah, man. Yeah. You know what the lock say? First you get the money. Then you get the power. Then you get the MF respect. Holly is like, okay. This is why you, when you get a chance to make a movie, you don't make a movie that just starts with where they are and take them somewhere and drop them. Because they're going to live their lives in a cowboy way. In other words, they're going to say, this is what you got to do in America. Then they'll look up and say, 
I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Let me handle my business. Damn. And think they made progress. Meanwhile, Robert Kraft and them sitting there and thinking to themselves, why won't you comb your hair? <laughs> they run it. You got some money. <laughs> there was two different things, bro. Wait, and what's crazier, they're going to buy a car for a man. The, that same Robert Kraft, they got together and bought that man that got 10 times more money than all of them put together. Yeah. A car. What the hell? Well, wait, they bought a car. They bought him a car. Do you right. see that? Right. Yeah, I did. But I'm, I guess what I'm asking is where they get the car, where they buy the car. That's a great question. I mean, in other words, they bought it from somebody that made a car. Where Jay-Z meet? Hmm. In other words, the idea is there are levels to this. <laughs> now, it's one thing to, to show the world you understand it. It's one thing for Christopher Wallace to say, you know, I've been in this game for years. It made me an animal. It's rules to this shit. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step -step booklet. Okay, did you write a manual? Let's go through the 10 crack commandments. Do you apply the 10 crack commandments to progress in the black community? No, you don't. So you wrote you a manual for what? You know, follow these rules. You'll have mad bread to break up. Oh, oh I see. So you wrote a manual on how to be, uh, how to make money. Okay, you still don't get it. I thought you got it. Those are the 10 crack commandments. Because take crack out, put dollar in. Take dollar out, put draws and baseballs in. Take draws and baseball out, put coal tan and gold in. You, you still trading in commodities. Don't you know that's how we over here speak English in the first place? They commoditized us. Maybe you should, while you're writing the 10 crack commandments, go take a pass at Adam Smith, the wealth of nations, or better yet, Locke. Go read John Locke and the social contract because it's all based on ownership. And what Haiti is saying is we will not be owned. So that's why they spent so much time in them. What Holly Green has said his whole career is I will not be owned, which is why they say we'll wait you out. And what Avery DuVernay has said, I will not be owned, but I can siphon some resources from you so that I'm going to try to take the whole thing and remix it. And they saying, good luck. Why? Because ain't nobody done it yet, but we're going to see where you go. And I think that's how ultimately we have to understand the world we live in begins with the world we can imagine that we want to live in. And the world we can imagine that we want to live in has to be based on the world we were living in before somebody set upon us. And that's what a film like Sankofa helps us understand. Even in the depths, even in the depths of it, we never lost our humanity. And our people, unfortunately, have been convinced through the propaganda of moving images, of sound, of cultural text and practice, we've been convinced that somehow we lost our humanity. And when somebody convinces you, you lost your humanity, you behave like somebody who believes that. In other words, you're always looking for your humanity from somebody who you think is the definition of human beings, which is what Clyde Taylor is trying to help us understand in Mask of Art. And no, no, it isn't complicated. It's just that simple. And instead of using the principles of Sankofa mm. and, and calling upon those spirits to come back, to come back, to come back, and we have another ancestor that we can call upon now in Melvin Van People. That's right. So um, let's That's just right. keep remembering who we are. And I just want to shout out your Reyes because he's done it again. He has ah! So I, I just got this in the mail. Um, he figured out how to frame the Africana Studies framework that we can, you know, put uh, if you want to on the wall to remind yourself that everything that we watch and jest that we 
read should be through these framework. Look at that. Questions, Look at that. Right? So Look we at that. Ask these questions as a smaller version, as a big, large. I got. I haven't put it up yet, but yeah, this is this is. Uh, oh know, wow! Came out, and of course, we added "How do it free us?" Because well, we that's that, that's the one that frames yeah. them all. I mean, I I think that that is, yeah, I think of that is. I mean, that's almost like the first question. I mean, that's the that that's the one that informs every one of those categories. And you know, and I want to thank you for that because before you know, it was kind of an unwieldy way in which we were consuming all of this content. The content we're consuming is with a purpose. They want us to be indoctrinated into a, a mind frame that is self-destructive ultimately, that continues the power structure ultimately. And every time we pause, like you say, pause hmm. and question, the question forces the brain to find an answer. And we have to do more questions. Ooh. It does. Ooh, that's mm. That's it. That's it. That's the teaching enterprise. The question forces the brain. Mm, that's exactly right. Mm. I wish. Uh, mm. Well, normally we would go a little bit longer, but yeah, we, you we got both got to roll because I'm. Dr. Carr, you probably going to see him out in the streets uh, going, doing a thing, speaking. And, and yeah, uh, yeah. We all going to. I mean, things are beginning to move. I must I must recognize my. My dear brother, Anyabwile Love, who was a professor at Community College of Philadelphia, um, they're having the second annual John William Coltrane Symposium in Philly. I know John Coltrane was from North Carolina, but spent much of his early life and then early years, married years in Philly. Um, he, uh, I'm participating in, in the symposium today and Coltrane, whose birthday, um, was yes no two days ago thursday thursday yeah uh jeremiah wright's birthday was last my year. man yeah yeah baba j shout out to baba j 80 years old 80 years young jeremiah wright still swinging with both both fists the man himself in chicago mary church terrell i think her birthday too was, uh, September's, you know, you talked about August, Black August. Black <laughs> August gave birth to some enlightened September. Do you like, remember the 21st yeah. of September? <laughs> yes, Maurice White, Memphis's own, yeah. by way of Chicago. No, In fact, that's so interesting you say that. We're, we're going to be discussing John Coltrane, and I'm not a musicologist. There's some fantastic cats that are going to be there. They're honoring some of the elders who did work on Coltrane. But the thing about John Coltrane, I'll never forget, Holly, we had Holly talk to uh, our freshman at Howard one year at freshman seminar. And he came in and we had about, I don't know, at that point, we probably had about 800, 800 students, freshmen in there. And we play music. I always play music before class. And I had John Coltrane on. And Holly still talks about that because he, show, he screamed. He gave them a special, like, 20-minute uh, screener of his doc, the other one. Remember, I talked about he said he's working been working on two movies the last couple of decades. One, the Italian Ethiopian War, as the, as they're making the other movies. The other one he's working on, I cannot wait. This is a massive documentary, which he for which he has now thousands of hours of footage on the Maroons. Mm. He, he has he has been through the dismal swamp. He's been Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida. Spent a lot of time in Florida, Mexico, Oklahoma. It's got everything from Black Wall Street to the Maroons to the people who live now in uh, Brackettville, Texas, and then come across the line and they are down in Mexico. So I mean, so you see, he's got. So anyway, he showed them 
about 20 minutes of footage and then did discussion the rest of the time. But when he walked in, he sat down. And I think I had, my favorite John Coltrane is the 1961 Africa Brass Sessions. If y'all get the Africa Brass Sessions, that's where you hear Green Sleeves is cool, but I like Africa. There are two, there are two takes of Africa that came in a double album. And then there's a song called Song of the Underground Railroad. And honestly, when I hear that song, I mean, I think about those black women like you, like Nunu, <laughs> like Mona. In other words, when you hear John Coltrane come in on that horn, that and he can rephrase it. And then, but near the end, you hear McCoy Tyner just floating on those keys. West Philadelphia High School's own McCoy Tyner, who was only like 16 when he joined the John Coltrane Quartet. He just made transition a couple of years ago. His brother Jarvis was a big figure in the Communist Party, by the way. But McCoy Tyner, it reminds you that our music, just like our film, our art should expand our minds. It should not leave us in a place where we are depressed. It should take us in a place where our minds are expanded and they and, and and our and our souls are fed. And that's not a black thing, but black people, as August Wilson says, black people have special truths to speak to the world out of our experiences. They're not special truths if you're making yourself a black version of somebody else's experience. John Coltrane did a live performance in Japan of just rereading something called Thinking in Jazz. I love this uh, book, Thinking in Jazz. This is Paul Berliner. This is a massive book. This is like almost 900 pages. Thinking in Jazz, The Infinite Art of Improvisation. And Berliner, who was a professor at Duke when I met him, I went looking for, for Paul Berliner. I said, I'm going to sit with this cat, man. Berliner says it was this Japanese cat who heard John Coltrane in a live performance, and, he, and this brother had just lost his sister. He said, I listened to John Coltrane at this live concert, and I went home disturbed, and I sat down, and I cried the whole rest of the night. And out of that release, I then said, I got to find this guy, and I'm a disciple. He was a musician. It's Japanese. My point is that that type of grounded art produced out of our vision, grounded in our history, and John Coltrane was absolutely grounded in our history, that art speaks to our common humanity. It's not the art of, forgive me, y'all, this is my, some of y'all would say maybe the politics of respectability, but, you know, you just had to say that. Um, it's not gutter. That's the lowest common denominator. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to capture the world as it is. Yeah. That ain't what we talking about. You can capture the world as it is without turning it into somehow saying I'm not human. There's a song to sing there. So anyway, I'm, I'm going I'm going up to Philly to be with my people. We talk about John Coltrane today. <laughs> I, I'm so grateful. Um, and thank you uh, for those of you who got up super early because so many people. Yes, let me right thank now. You. They they set the alarm as I did this morning to make sure we were here. Yes, uh, the ass crack of dawn. Thank you. As crack of dawn. That's okay. No, look, at, was, look at these people. I'm not assuming all these people in the United States either. It no, might well, somebody got up at four o'clock in the morning. I don't oh, know what yeah. that is. So I know that that's not, yeah, it probably could be in the United States, but California. West Coast. West Coast, yeah. Oh, there's your Reyes? Yeah, yeah. 
Nice. Oh, now go tell it. <laughs> you lied. Oh, Jim of the Ocean. Now stop playing now. Hey, look, you know Felicia Rashad work at Howard. One of these days when this thing is up. I'm like, look, sis, we got oh. a ring. Speaking of which, um, can you find out if they can um if they're filming your symposium and we can make oh, it available? Yeah. If you if know what? make it available a narrative. Ooh, uh, I'm so glad you said that. Members and a chorus section. Uh we have a music section there and there. Yes. Music section in Nubia as well. So Let's yes, see. we should. Yeah, in fact, I'm just talking to my uh, my young folk. I mean, um, Ansheree Hines and Stephanie Joy Tisdale, uh, who are working with the Center for Black Educated Development. My man, uh, Baba Sharif El Meki, um, and uh, Sister Shana Terrell. We're working on Freedom Schools. You know, we do it year round, and it's probably going to be Mondays, but they want to do a national meeting at least once a month usually we meet with the philly students and so uh i might see some of them today because they're all in philly i hope we'll all I mean, I, you know i miss my philly people so um these are that's the young people there we go <laughs> right and so um i'm gonna ask them about maybe we can bring that over here and have the national freedom school in Bangi right here i would love that and Woo! i'm uh, wilson reverend dr starsky wilson is on my show every week too yes that's yes fun. So there's that that connection uh, to the Freedom Schools through Marion Wright Edelman. Yes, uh, yes. It's a, there's so many uh, threads that are coming together, and I'm just, oh, I'm just so grateful, and oh. I want to just thank you. Be oh, safe. He's in, he's in London. Oh, okay. Look at that. And somebody's birthday. Oh. Happy birthday to. A, see, this is why. My dot is that I can't. A God O of man. Uh, oh, God of man. Okay. Happy yeah. birthday to you, but I can't tell you your name because I don't know who you are because I can't. Gina Juf, that's right. a Senegalese, that's a Wolof name. Oh, I love y'all too, Terry. Look at this nun. We all stand up. All right. Temple University. Look, I am. We all stand. All right. Look, Nubia. Oh, love, love you. I will love see you, too. you next week in them in the Nubian streets. In the Nubian um, streets. And again, thank everybody. Uh, like, share, whatever. We'll see y'all over a narrative. Yeah.